I think this is now week nine of our blind spots, and so we're going to do a, a ninth blind spot today. I almost started this series with this one because this is the big one. This is the big one. You see, this blind spot today is the reason why you have other blind spots. This blind spot today is why you have blind spots of anger. It's why you have blind spots of bitterness. It's why you have blind spots of unforgiveness. The one we're going to deal with today, it it is the cause. It, It is the root. It is why you and I have blind spots. The blind spot today is why some of you in the room don't handle conflict well. You overreact or maybe you underreact. Some of you have blind spots today because you maybe talk too much or you don't talk enough whenever there is an issue. There are blind spots of workaholism because of today's. There's blind spots of slothfulness and laziness because of today. There's blind spots within the family because of today's blind spot. Today's blind spot It is the cause of why you and I have issues and why we continue to struggle in life. So this one today is a really big deal. And I almost started the series with it. But I was afraid if I started the series with this, that because you're not used to blind spots, I was concerned that maybe you would think it applied to everybody else. But today's blind spot, it applies to all of us. Maybe just a little bit in your life, maybe, but most likely it applies to you like big, like commodious, like large, like like big time, okay? But it's a blind spot, and probably you've been operating ineffectively in your life because of the results of this blind spot. We're going to turn right now, if you would, to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll eventually look this scripture up specifically, but just go to Genesis 25 and start finding, it's the very first book of the Bible, look at the table of index and go right, all right? This is a story about two boys, and these two boys happen to be two brothers, and what's so sad to me about this story is instead of blessing each other, they curse each other. And I I just can't imagine that. My brother is seven years younger than me, and my brother and I get along extremely well. Talked to him this week on the phone. It's always, hey, how's Danita? She's great. How's your wife, Michelle? She's good. How are the kids? Good. How are your kids? Good. How's work? Good. How's your work? Good. I mean, we're all trying to help each other. It's a conversation of blessing, blessing, blessing. These are conversations and lifestyle of cursing. And so today, we're going to talk about blessing and cursing, but we're going to deal with the blind spot of shame. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll start. I just want to describe these two boys. Maybe you've never read this before. Here are these two boys, Jacob and Esau. They're brothers. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So you got two different boys here, right? One guy works for Duck Dynasty. He's a good character for Duck Dynasty. The other guy, you know, he stays at home, whatever. Um, uh, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Wow, that tells you a lot right there, doesn't it? Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Let's go to the next verse. 
Jacob replied, well, first sell me your birthright. Now, how cool is that, all right? I mean, the birthright means you're, you're large and in charge. The birthright is you get most of the inheritance. The birthright is everybody else has to follow you when dad's dead. And so what Jacob, the younger brother, is saying to him is, I don't care you're about to die. I don't care you don't have anything to eat. I got you over a barrel. Sell me your birthright. And so Esau said, well, what good is my birthright to me? So swear to me, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Incredible story. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and he drank, and he got up and he left. At that moment, shame is lodged into Esau's heart. So Esau despised his birthright. And I contend that shame also began to come into the mind of Jacob because Jacob knew what he did wasn't right. Now, the next big drama story in this particular uh, section of Scripture is called the blessing. And now the older dad, Isaac, is going to lay hands on the firstborn and pass along this incredible blessing. But the mother hears the story, and she goes to the younger son, and she says, quick, we got to do something. Your older brother's about to get the blessing. And remember, she loved the younger son more than she did the older son. And so she told the younger son, we're going to trick your dad. We're going to deceive your dad. Go into the pen and get two goats, and we're going to kill these two goats because your dad's asked your older brother to go out hunting. And while he's hunting, you know, it's going to take several half a day or a day or whatever. While he's out hunting, we'll trick your dad. We'll deceive your father, and you will get the blessing. And Jacob's going, the younger brother's going, this isn't going to work. I don't look like my brother. Well, yeah, but he's old and he can't see. Well, I don't smell like him. I'll put your brother's clothes on you. Well, what if he touches me? Don't worry, I'll put some goat skins. And the mother actually puts goat skins on the back of his hands so he'll, he'll deceive the father. So here's what happens. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, this is now the younger brother, Jacob. This is the, 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 the trick. He blessed him and said, Ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. Now, here's the blessing. Isaac, the dad, thinks it's Esau. It's not Esau. It's Jacob. And so the father is now getting ready to bless the younger son. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and may those who bless you be blessed. So there's there's this amazing blessing over this. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He prepared, he too prepared some tasty food and he brought it to his father. Then he said to his dad, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked, well, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Next verse. Isaac trembled violently, and he said, well, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. He said to his father, Bless me. Bless me, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully. 
and he took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered, I've made him Lord over you and have made all his, rel- his, relative, made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, well, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, father. And Esau wept out loud. Now, before we keep reading, what's taking place here is every cry of every boy, every girl, every man, every woman's heart in this room. Every one of us in our heart of hearts, we want blessings, we don't want cursings. We want blessings from our parents. We want blessings from our coaches. We want blessings from our teachers. We want blessings from our youth pastors. Every one of us in this room, we have a desire not for shame. We have a desire not for cursings. We have a desire for the blessings of God from all of us to support, to encourage, to uplift. Esau wept out loud. And now there's a curse. Now Isaac's actually going to curse his son Esau. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off of your neck. An incredible story, an incredible passage of scripture here. And I want to take that story and I want you to realize that Isaac lived with shame and from shame all the days of his life. And Jacob struggled with shame most of his life until he has this incredible encounter with an angel or with a man of God late in his life. What is shame? Let's talk about this first. What is shame? First of all, we all have a shame base. Every one of us in this room struggle, maybe a little bit, but maybe a lot because of shameful things. What is shame? Well, shame is very different than guilt. Guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. Regret is, I I did something wrong. I didn't study enough. I cheated. You know, I I drank too much. Regret is, I'm I'm sorry that I did something. But but shame is, I am sorry. Guilt is, I, I did something wrong. But shame is, I am faulty. You see the difference? Shame is, I'm a mistake. I, I, I don't know why I'm here. I, I shouldn't be here. Everybody else gets blessed. I, I got cursed. Nothing's working well for me. Now, where did it come from? Where did shame come from? Well, um, the Bible would say that shame actually started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were both naked and not ashamed. And after the fall, they, they were ashamed. But maybe you don't believe the Bible. That, that's great. I'm so glad you're here. But I, I really am. But I, but I actually think that that's where it started. But I got a lot more ammunition than that. So even if you don't believe in the Bible, I'm, I'm cool with that, okay? But I think that's where it started. But second of all, shame comes from cursings. Important people in your life, parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents, coaches, teachers, pastors, 
Shame comes where important people in your life have actually given you cursings instead of blessings. They've actually put you down, shoved you down, made you feel insecure, made you feel bad about your life. And those, those cursings have actually lodged themselves somewhere in your heart and somewhere in your mind. Shame also comes, though, from unhealthy family rules. I do think it came from Adam and Eve. I know it comes from cursings, but, I, but it also comes from unhealthy family rules. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, some of you grew up in homes where the family rules were like right up here. And no matter how hard you tried, no matter how much you were striving to be perfect, you just couldn't be perfect. I mean, all A's was just like the standard. There was no margin. That's just where you had to get to to start. Some of you grew up in homes where everything had to be perfect and everybody had to be perfect. And you grew up in a home, possibly, where you couldn't actually ever be real. You, you had to hide. There's secrecy. We keep everything a secret. We never let anybody see our faults. We never let anybody see our struggles. We hide. We, 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 we cover up the shame. We put it away. When the garage door is shut, the front door is shut, nobody can see. Nobody knows what goes on in our life. And some of you grew up with some very unhealthy family rules. That no matter how hard you tried, you could not walk on water. And you tried. And you just, you just kept getting beat up and beat down all the time. Also, though, shame comes from very unhealthy family practices. There's some events that took place in your life. The guy's real name is Joe, and he's 38 years old and a very successful uh, business leader. And... Um, He's just got some anger issues, and Joe's struggled with anger, and he'd be in traffic and blowing the horn and just, just coming unglued, you know, which most of us want to on US-19, but we just know better, right? And so he, he, he couldn't help himself, and so he goes to his pastor. And his pastor, you know, well, how you doing? And, you know, well, tell me why, and anything happen in your family background? And no, no, you know, I grew up pretty okay. And we pastors have an annoying way to keep asking questions until we get to the core of something. And so he kept asking him, you know, well, how's your relationship with your dad? Well, not very good. Yeah, well, really? Well, tell me, yeah, dad, he's just, you know, he's, he's just, I, I don't like him. I don't spend any time with him. We've grown distant. Well, did anything happen? Anything happen in, in your background? He said, oh, no, 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 not really. You know, it's kind of a... a just a dysfunctional home, but anything at all that, that you were disgusted with or frustrated. I said, well, you know, when I was eight, he said, I had, I had three boys over for a sleepover. And uh, we were eating popcorn and drinking lemonade. And it was pretty late when we were drinking lemonade. And he said, you know, I, I wet my bed. He said, I, I, don't, I wasn't a bed wetter, but he said, I, I, I drank lemonade too late at night and I wet my bed. He said, the next morning, my dad comes to the kitchen table. My three buddies are at the kitchen table with my mom and me. And he said, and my dad comes with those wet sheets. And my dad said, I guess we've got to put the plastic sheets back on the bed because we got a bed wetter in this family. And then he said, my dad pulled my pants down at age eight and spanked my bare bottom in the front of my three dear friends. He said, I hated my father at that moment. He said, if I'm really honest with you, Pastor, I wanted to kill my father at that moment. 
And so this wise pastor said, his name's Craig Hill, the pastor, and Pastor Craig Hill said, let's, let's, let's try to pray about this, and I need you to kind of walk through this and to pray about it. And as Joe began to try to pray, there was silence for about 15 seconds. Craig looks up, and this guy, Joe, just breaks. And for the next 15 minutes, he is just bawling and heaving because of the shame that happened 30 years ago. And that may not be your story, but you've got a shame story or shame stories. And it wasn't right, and you were a child, and you were innocent, and you were a good person. You had nothing. It wasn't because you were a bad person, but some very unhealthy adults who were also full of shame and just reacting on their shame, they then cursed you and did something very, very inappropriate to you and to your life. And so some of those lies then of shame are still lodged in your heart. I just want to list nine of them real quickly. Here's a couple of lies that, that we continue to foster and to circulate. Let's go through these, Deb. What I feel is wrong. This is a lie. I was never allowed to be angry. I was never allowed to hurt. I was never allowed to have loneliness or sadness or joy. Those are some unhealthy family rules that you may have grown up with. Number two, it's a lie to be selfish. It is selfish and wrong to have a need or to ask a favor. Some of you in this room, you'd walk five miles in the heat rather than asking somebody, calling somebody, come up and help you change a flat tire. Where does that come from? Because you don't feel like you're good enough or you're worthy enough for somebody to stop what they're doing, get in their car, and come help you change a flat tire. That's, that's a lie that continues to get refurbished. Number three, it's wrong to express an opinion. I can't express an opinion because nobody thinks I'm valuable. If I was of value, I could express my opinion. Number four, I should never, uh, I should never allow myself to make a mistake. Number five, I can't go out of the house without looking just right. Everything's got to be perfect. Clothes, makeup, shoes, purse, I don't know, wallet, whatever. It's not one of my problems. Number six, when I do my best, it's not enough. I get that one. I get, I get that. Number seven, men don't cry or express emotion. Guys, why is it so hard for most of us in this room to tell another guy, I love you? Why is it so hard? Women don't have trouble with that, do you? I think that's why you live longer, too. You get it out. You're emotional. But, but it's got, I mean, when, when Ethan, he's sitting in the room, when Ethan was just a little bitty boy, I started that early and I wanted to break that cycle. Ethan, I love you. He's 22, six foot three. We talk two or three times a week. Every time we close a phone conversation, hey, son, I love you. Hey, dad, I love you, too. Can I have some money? No, just kidding. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. No, no, number eight. Number eight. I'm here only to be abused by men. Ladies, I am sorry about that. I don't get that. I've got two gorgeous, beautiful daughters. I, I, I can't even imagine that. Can't even imagine that. So, so shame has happened. One more. Number nine, another lie. I must be a good person, which really means I have to be perfect. Now, let's turn this around. I've built my case. Now let's turn this around and go toward the cross. You see, none of us in this room were ever designed to live in shame. 
We were all designed in the image of our Heavenly Father. Every boy, every woman, every man, every girl, everybody in this room was made in the image of God. You were created in the very image of your Heavenly Father. And you weren't made to go around reflecting shame. You were designed to be reflecting God's glory, God's glory, God's glory. You were made in His image, and you're not to go around reflecting shame, but to live in the glory of our great Heavenly Father. So we are glory reflectors. We are not shame bearers. We are glory and image of God reflectors. If you think about this, and you look through, if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would really encourage you to do that. It's cool, those are cool, four cool books in the Bible. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see how Jesus was cursed a lot, but you see how Jesus was always blessing everybody. There were curses coming toward him, but there were blessings coming from him. And Jesus was always helping everybody with their identity and with their destiny. Jesus would, would not curse someone's identity, and he certainly wouldn't curse their destiny. He was always blessing them, blessing them. Peter, Peter, for goodness sakes, I know you're a pebble right now, but let me tell you, you're going to be the rock. That was his identity. And to the disciples, their destiny, from now on, you're going to be fishing for men. Their identity, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Jesus was always clear, clear, clear about your identity and my identity and our destiny. And so what, what does that look like today then? What is our destiny in Christ? Well, your destiny is your purpose. And I, I want to start with that because I want to end with your identity again. So here's, here's what your destiny would look like. This is from God. I believe God would write this letter to you. I believe he would shoot you this text, and this is what he would say to you. You belong, and you are there because I created you and uniquely gifted you to be here at this time. You have a unique purpose and destiny that I designed you for that no one else can fulfill. No one else can be the parent to your children and a child to your own parents. No one else has the life skills, gifts, skills that you have. You are completely and adequately and competent to fulfill your purpose and your destiny. But you won't have to do it alone. I have marvelous companions who will accompany you on your journey and help you to fulfill your purpose. I myself will help you and will always be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You can expect to prosper and succeed in all I have called you to do in your life. I am God. I love you. And that is your destiny. God has a specific destiny for every single one of us in this room. But I tell you what, you'll never get there unless you understand your identity. And your identity is, is your, your value. This is how God values you. And let me say what I think he might do as far as your identity. Here's a letter that I think God would write to you. I love you. You mean everything to me. You're worth the life of my son, Jesus Christ, because that is what I paid for you. You belong, and you are supposed to be here. You are special, unique. No one else is like you. You are beautiful. I love your hair your eyes, your skin. I love everything about you. When I look in your face, you make me smile. 
Perhaps your parents weren't expecting you, but I was. You were not a surprise to me. Your mother carried you for nine months in her womb, but I carried you for thousands of years in my spirit. At just the right time, I released you to be born on this earth. You are the correct sex, exactly who I created you to be. Nothing wrong, nothing defective. You can expect to be loved and valued by others because I love you and created you to be loved. I had to work through this. It took me a long time in my life to work through my identity is different than my destiny. And so what I want us to kind of walk away with today is to realize that our value is incredible because of Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian yet, I don't really have anything else to say to you. I can give you some, you know, Dr. Phil self-help stuff, which really doesn't help anything, but, but I don't really know what else to say. But, but for those of us that are in Christ, and for those of us in the room that want to be in Christ, everything changes because of Christ. Our identity now, when God looks at you, he sees the blood of his son. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees no fault. When God looks at you, he sees no shame. When God looks at you, he doesn't remember all that stuff you did in the years past. God looks at you as if you've never sinned. That's the word justification. Just as if I've never sinned. You have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so your identity is so different than your destiny. It took me a while to work through that. I was supposed to go as a kid to Purdue and do radio and television, and I come home and tell my parents I'm not going, that I'm going to a Bible college to be a preacher. It didn't go over real well. And so I I, I got these two confused. I got my identity and my destiny kind of all wrapped up together. And so I figured out that I had to work harder and be smarter and do all this stuff. And that if I had a great destiny, I would somehow really feel good about myself. And I had to come, to come to grips with to realize that my identity in Christ never changes. I can't improve it and I can't even deflate it. And I had to realize that if I never preached another sermon, God wasn't going to love me any more or any less. If I never reached another person for Christ, I never shared Christ at Starbucks or Target or whatever, if if nobody else ever became a Christian because of me, God wasn't going to love me any less. He wasn't going to love me anymore. If if I wasn't a pastor anymore, if I checked out at 52 and I decided that I'm done with all this, God wouldn't love me anymore. God God wouldn't love me any less. Now, that, that's not my destiny. He does want me to preach. He does want me to win people to Christ. He does want, but, but the identity is who you are. And this is what I want you to walk away with today. It is a lifestyle then of blessings and not a lifestyle of cursings. And this is what you and I get to do. We get to create a culture of blessings in our church, create a culture of blessings in our home, create a culture of blessings in our businesses, create a culture of blessings in our schools, create a culture of blessings in our neighborhoods. Everybody else might be throwing out the curses, but not you and and not me. We create a culture of blessings. One of the things that, that I think we've done right as a family, and Danita started all this, but 
years and years ago when the kids were just really, really small, we, we started, have a, we have a plate called the special person. And this plate is a special person. It's a special plate that they've, you know, painted and stuff. And, and, and somebody gets to be the special person every so often. And the special person then just kind of sits there, and everybody goes around the dining room table, and they tell why that person's special. Do you know what that does? That's blessing, blessing, blessing. That's pouring blessings. Birthdays, we have a birthday plate. Somebody gets the birthday plate. It's their birthday. And they get to sit around, and people, again, share why that person's valuable. And we've done that now for 22 or 23 years. We have some great friends that are with us from uh, Memphis, from the, from the church I was at in Memphis. And this, this couple was with us the other night, and they got four kids. And we, we have, there were four of us. Ethan wasn't home yet. But, but we, we put names in it like a little hat. And uh, Devin drew out one of the names. And, and Danita won. And Danita said, no, I don't want to be the special person. Let, let them be. I said, no, you won. You're the special person. So we all go around the dining room table, and we tell Danita why we think she's special. Do you know what that does? That's like the angels in heaven are high-fiving each other. It's not a system of cursing and putting people down and making fun of other people. It's a system of encouragement. I mean, there were tears around the table. I mean, there was great words. There was humor. What if, what if you have a culture of blessing in your home. What, what if you started a culture of blessing? There's a special person. There, there, there's a special plate, and, and you just get to go around. What, what if we as a church and as a families and patriarchs and the family, well, what if we as parents and grandparents just continue to bless every time there's a new season of life? I mean, if you're pregnant... Isn't that a time for the father, for the grandfather, for the, maybe the other sibling kids? If, if you're newly pregnant, isn't that a time for people just to lay hands on your stomach and to pray over you and pray over that baby? And what about when that baby's born? What if you as a family in the hospital room, just, you know, maybe a half an hour, an hour after that baby's born, if you guys rise up and we're going to pray for this child, we're going to pray for this kid, and this kid's going to be, you know, blessed in God's eyes. What about when that child goes to school for the first time, kindergarten or first grade? And as a family, you lay hands on her, you lay hands on him, and there's blessings, blessings, blessings. What about when our young people are, you know, in adolescence and it's a changing time of life, an insecure time of life? And so what about for that young woman, that young man? We pray blessings over them. What about when they go off to the military or they go off to college for the first time or they go out of the house for the first time? As a family, you, play, you pray blessings over them. What about when they get married? They're, 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 they're about to get married. I'm telling you, do not do this. There's this toast, you know, and the best man gets up there and the maid of honor gets up there. I'm dying because they're pouring down curses. They're talking about old girlfriends and old boyfriends, and they've had too much to drink. That is the dumbest thing anybody could ever do at a wedding. It's pouring down curses. Why wouldn't the best man, why wouldn't the maid of honor rise up and bless the groom, bless the bride? You don't want to pour down curses. You want to pour blessing and blessing and blessing. What if, just what if, you got aging parents 
And you're now, you know, 40 or 50 or 60, and your parents are 70 or 80 or 90, and you as a family pour out blessings on the aged parents. Wow. Would that not shake up God's attention? you darn right it would. God's high-fiving and doing backflips and jumping over pews in heaven over all that. He's excited because that's who God is. And so I, I want to encourage you, number one, to deal with your shame in Jesus Christ. You're not a shame bearer. You're a glory bearer. You're an image bearer of Christ. Number two, I want to challenge parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody in this room, students. I mean, I mean really, what if? We all just started sharing blessings and blessings and blessings instead of putting people down, knocking people down, making people, what, 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 what would happen to your family, to your school, to your church, to your neighborhood, to your community? It would never be the same. And that's what God can do. God can make something incredibly beautiful out of you.